Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to... We're just having a... Works or not. Jeremiah. Let's go to Jeremiah. So grab your Bibles, Jeremiah chapter 1. Hope you brought your Bibles. And we're going to be reading from Jeremiah chapter 1 here in just a few moments. Again, a thank you to uh, those who have given and put these boxes together. There's other boxes that we've already taken out. Uh, Tremendous response this year, so thank you. A number of you uh, have given and worked on it and made it something special. We're believing not only that they will be blessed, but that they will recognize it comes from the Lord. Uh, people that hearts have been turned by God, and so we want them to recognize that. Again, we welcome those who are visiting. Uh, I want to, um, we're going to be looking to Jeremiah chapter 1 in just a moment. We have been for a few weeks, we have gone into a series that we hadn't been planning on a couple of months ago, at least not, I haven't been, called uh, the Lazarus generation. Uh, Lazarus, the implication is a generation of people, and it's not about you know, an older or a younger generation. It's about a people who, whose hearts have died, who the things, the things of faith have fallen off of our hearts, and God wants to bring that back to life. Uh, he's doing CPR on us and bringing us back to the place where we can believe again. And there have been just a lot of stuff that has taken place that has stolen, I think, the hearts of many believers, faith, Uh, It has moved us into a place of almost a despondency, just putting up with, tolerating, just getting through, almost in a survival type of a frame of mind. I really think, God, that that's not of the Lord. He wants us to believe and to believe big, to believe audacious dreams for Him. And uh, there's something to be said about faith. And so last week we were looking at Mark chapter 11. We were talking about... Have faith in God, what that means. I want to just take that a step farther. Uh, Wasn't that just a tremendous time with the worship team this morning? Uh, Wilton and the worship team leading us. Would you just demonstrate your appreciation to our worship team? Thank you, guys. We appreciate each one in their involvement. Uh, Tremendous having uh, talent and worship leading us before his throne and putting our faith in God. One of the things I talked about last week, if you didn't, weren't a part of that, I encourage you to go back and get it in the, you can get it in the podcast now, but I invite you to go back. Last week we talked about a study that had been done that as you get older, you move from the imaginative side of your brain to the memory side. Remember we talked about that last week, and if you weren't here, well, the studies have talked about as you get older, we tend to move from the imaginative side of our brain to the memory side. I trust that you were able to take some observations and inventory in your own brain this past week. Have you noticed that maybe over time you've stopped believing in some of the things, dreaming in some of those things, and you've been reminiscing, you've been remembering more, you've been living over in that other side where The things of the future aren't what you aspire to obtain. You're kind of just 
thinking about what has been, what was. And I really think that faith, in order to have faith, and to have faith to believe God for the days that are yet ahead of us, and all of us have that, you know, as long as you have breath, you have some days ahead. So help us, God, to get back to where we can dream your dreams, where we can, your kingdom come, your will be done. That is futuristic. That, God, I'm believing for those things. Not just saying it, but I am standing and contending for those things that are of the Lord. So I trust that you're able to, to maybe do some inventory. I found it kind of fun doing that myself. And increasing the circle of faith, where whatever you've been believing for, can you believe for more? Can you increase that? Can, what will it take to believe God for what he wants to do, because I've discovered that in serving God, God always is a God of abundance. I mean, here we are on planet Earth, this blue planet, and yet when I look out at nighttime and I see the stars, the, 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 the universe around that I can see with my visible eyes, I think God goes away and way beyond just what I need. When I think about water, you, you look out over our lakes, or if you get to the ocean, you get to see the ocean. It's just it's a lot more than we really need. And the beautiful fall colors, and we've talked about that the last month, how he really does overdo it in about everything. God really does, there's a good expression, I don't know if I've used that one. God really does overdo it. He overdoes it. And I don't mean that derogatively at all. He is a God of abundance. And that means increase, enlarge the circle of faith. So today our text is Jeremiah chapter 1. Let's jump right into it. Jeremiah chapter 1. If you have it, verse 1, here it is. The Lord said to me, the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. Let me just read that again. I am watching, God's saying, I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. So, Father, we just desire to understand that. That what you were revealing to Jeremiah and the people of that time, that help us to understand what that means to watch and to see your word fulfilled. We ask in your name. Amen. Let me start with a couple of illustrations. According to Malcolm Gladwell's research, picture of him, Conducted a few years ago, he studied two nations' grade oneers. He did some research and he did a test for Japanese children and for American children. And what he was doing was he, they, they were discovering that the Japanese children were scoring higher in their tests than American children. And he wanted to determine what was it. Were they actually <laughs> a brighter race? That was kind of the, the uh, hypothesis. And so he did a test. And here's what the test was. He did this, Malcolm did this test. Uh, why were Japanese children scoring higher than American children? So what they were given, these, these grade one children, were given a puzzle to solve. They simply wanted to know how long 
they would work to try to solve it before they gave up. That was the point of the puzzle. It wasn't if they solved it. How long would they work on trying to solve it before they gave up? And the study came to the conclusion that the American children lasted about just under 10 minutes before they gave up on the test. The Japanese children, grade oneers, went almost 14 minutes on average before they gave up on the test. In other words, the Japanese children tried 40% longer than the American children tried. And the researchers concluded that the difference in math scores may have less to do with pure intelligent quotient and more to do with persistence. The Japanese children, quite simply, tried harder. Interesting study, is it not? The implications, I think, are true. In so many areas of life, it doesn't matter whether in athletics, where, you know, you, you work hard, you put a work ethic, you try hard, you put persistence into it, you will do better. Versus you don't apply yourself, you won't do as well. We as parents tell our kids that all the time. You need to apply yourself. You need to study. You need to work at it. It's true with academics that you have to work at it. Some people have to work harder perhaps than others, but we all must work at it. There's no shortcuts. There are no substitutes. Success is a derivative of persistence. Let's illustrate it another way. A bit more than a decade ago, Anders Ericsson and his colleagues at the Berlin Elite Academy of Music did a study with musicians. With the help of professors, they divided violinists into three groups. There were the world-class soloists. These are world-class violinists. There were the good violinists and those unlikely to play professionally. Not so good. Three groups. World-class soloists, good violinists, those unlikely to play professionally. They did a study and they observed that they all started playing at roughly the same age. They all practiced about the same amount of time until about the age of eight. That is when their practice habits between the three groups diverged. The research found that by the age of 20, the average players had logged about 4,000 hours of practice time. The good violinists totaled about 8,000 double hours. The elite performers were 10,000 hours. And while there can be no denying, they said, that there's some acute abilities when it comes to your potential and tapping into your potential, that there is a fundamental scale that you can observe, and it has to do with persistent effort. I say that to say prayer. We're talking these days about prayer. Prayer is the same thing. You don't pray much, you're not going to see much. Prayer is the same thing. 
and I, we, need to, we need to hit this because God has been hitting this with me. When we don't pray much, you don't see much. When you do it individually, when you are not diligent, when we are frivolous and inconsistent in our prayers, then we will see that same result. But when there's persistent, and you can't but go through Scripture very far without seeing constantly where we are being called to be diligent in prayer. Matter of fact, didn't Jesus have it in with his disciples a little bit when he was in the garden? And he came back and says, can't you guys just stay with it a little bit longer? Can't you pray even just 60 minutes? Can you not have waited with me? As Jesus, you look at the life and observation of Jesus. You see him moving into the place daily with not just prayer, but persistent prayer. Staying with it. Now, it's easier said than done. I've been told that in bookstores, Christian bookstores, the number one bestseller are books that have something to do with prayer. The reason is because I think we all struggle with prayer. And that's okay. It's what we do with the struggle of prayer that might not be okay. And so the point of this morning, I want to talk, the title of my message is Praying Hard. Praying Hard. Now, you've heard the expression, play hard. You know, a sports team, go out and play hard. Well, I'm going to change that a little bit. I'm going to say, let's pray hard. Individually, corporately. It's one of the reasons that we have an upper Zoom on Saturday. So we can pray. To pray. I've, I've said it to others. I said sometimes when it comes to prayer meetings, you would think that we are having everything answered in our prayer life. Everything is, there's an expression, I don't know if you've used it, peachy keen. Everything is wonderful. Everything is falling into place in your life. Your life couldn't be better. You would think that was happening by taking a look at how many time, how much we pray. When we gather together in corporate prayer and to believe together, I think I will switch over. Here we go. You'd think that we were seeing some tremendous answers to prayer. And yet, I hear as a pastor frequently that's not happening. We have a lot of needs. There's a lot of things that we're continuing to contend in before our faith. And so, we want to draw the place praying hard. What is God's plan for us? That he would fulfill his word through us that praying hard needs to be something that we need to cultivate. A, dis a discipline to be developed. I made a comment here. I put it up on PowerPoint for you. The bigger the need for a miracle, the harder you will have to pray. Now, you can't earn. I'm, I'm not, you can't earn God's favor. But by praying hard sets in motion things in your life and in the spiritual realm that are necessary for answers to prayer. So let's go to a text, and this is where we're going to close our time and finish the morning. 1 Kings chapter 18. I invite you to take your Bibles and go with me to 1 Kings 18. You're going to find some of you the story familiar. 1 Kings chapter 18. Israel in this passage has been in a severe drought for three long years. The Lord promised Elijah the prophet that he would send rain. However, Elijah, even though he had a promise that God was going to 
break them out of the drought, even though there was the promise there. Elijah still had to mark his faith with persistent prayer. I like that expression. So last night when I was in Upper Zoom, when I went in there, I actually used a a mental concept. God, tonight in the next 45 to 60 minutes in that prayer Zoom, I'm going to mark my faith. I'm going to mark it. I'm going to mark my faith by praying for something. I got to mark it out. When we prayed pre-service prayer, same thing. God, we're going to mark our faith for what we're believing here this morning and in people's lives, in your lives, in my life here this morning. We're going to mark our faith. And Elijah, although the promise of God was given, he still had to mark it. He still had to mark it. He still had to draw that line. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41. Follow along with me. Elijah said to King Ahab, Go, eat, drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. He went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell King Ahab, hitch up your chariots and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain started falling. And Ahab rode off to Jezreel. Now, this story, I want to just bring out a few points of this story with our theme. Again, pray hard. What does it mean to be persistent, to stay at it, to dig in into the place of prayer? I want to bring a few points out of this story this morning. The first one. Would you note that early part where it talked about a small cloud? He said in verse 44, a cloud as small as a man's hand, a small cloud. It all starts small. Six times Elijah would say to the servant, go and look towards the sea. Now, why the sea? Because that's where the wind was coming from. So he didn't say, look the opposite way. Typically, when you're at the sea, that's where the wind flows from. So look out over the sea, blue sky. Look out over the sea and look for a change. He told him to go and to keep going six times. Can you imagine? Six times coming back. I I see nothing. Go again. Take another look. I see nothing. Go back again. Look out. Look with your eyes. Look with your eyes over the sea. Six times he went. And this is the point where most of us give up. We stop praying because we can't see anything. You tracking? I can't see it. And it's a struggle. I can't see anything. I don't see a change. I don't see any evidence. As a matter of fact, how many times things seem to get worse? You know, you, you, you might have seen a haze, but you look out now, it's like not, not even a haze out there. And it looks like it's absolutely impossible. We allow our circumstances to get between God and us instead of putting God between us and our circumstances. I thought that would be good to write down. We allow circumstances to get between us and God. Circumstances, I can't see anything, so I stop. We allow circumstances to get between God and us instead of putting God between me and that circumstance. God, I put you right here, and I pray, I believe, I watch. It's easy to give up 
on what is in your heart. Give up on miracles. Give up on promises. It's so easy. We lose heart. We lose patience. We lose faith. We slow down our prayers. And it's kind of like a slow leak. A slow leak that you just keep slow. You don't really see much happening. But let it leak over a period of time and there's nothing left. And let our prayer life leak over a prayer a period of time and our prayer life goes flat. So what happens is you notice days go by and you really haven't prayed. What happened? Leak. There's been a leak going on. And there's just, you forget to pray. You just don't see the point of praying. What I'm about to share this morning from, these, from this story, I think, has the power to revolutionize the way you and I pray and read the Bible. And it's this. We often view prayer and scripture reading as two distinct spiritual disciplines. So you, you read the scripture. You're, you're maybe reading it in the morning or in the evening or over lunch hour. You take some time. You read whatever the passage you are reading. You read down through scripture. You might have a, a systematic approach to your reading of the scriptures. And then prayer is separate. You pray, maybe before, you pray after, and we see that as two distinct disciplines in our faith. But I want to suggest this morning today, what if reading became a form of praying and praying became a form of reading? Follow with me. One of the primary reasons people don't pray and pray through is because we run out of things to say. <laughs> you know, after a while, it's like, hmm, I don't know what else to say. Our lack of persistence is really a lack of conversation pieces. We don't know what to say. It's like an awkward conversation. You know those awkward conversations. We've all had them. Maybe had one or two this morning already. Those awkward conversations where you into a conversation and then you don't know where else to go with this. It's not that you went long into the conversation. You just really don't know enough of the other person, and you're not really sure you want to invest more into that conversation. And it gets awkward. There's a point where you look at each other, then you look at your feet, and your hands are swinging by your and you're not really sure where to go. The awkward conversations we all have. We don't know what else to say. It's like a conversation on its last leg, and you run out of things to say. And this is true when it comes to our prayer. When our prayers turn into a bunch of overused and misapplied cliches, what's happened? You've run out of things to say. <laughs> so you start using cliches. Well, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's a great phrase, but it's, it tends to get a bit overused maybe. Even saying Jesus, Jesus, and, and his name, there's power in the name of Jesus. I liked what I heard this past week. I was on Tuesday morning prayer, and there was a person who came on. I've been doing this uh, this week, and I really liked it. The person came on, and they said on Tuesday morning prayer, they said that they look for opportunity throughout the day in a conversation to bring the name of Jesus into it. They don't preach Jesus. They don't talk a whole lot, but they just bring the name of Jesus into the conversation. And then they trust God to use the name of Jesus to impact a person's life. And I thought about that afterward. You know, we sing a song. Um, what's the song? Uh, Believe Jesus. How does that go? 
Speak the name. I speak Jesus. That's what it is. I speak Jesus. And it was that principle, I speak Jesus. And so if we can somehow bring Jesus into the conversation, don't have to preach about him, but bring Jesus into the conversation and then let the power of his name do something in that person's life. Because now you just brought a light on Jesus. And so I've been looking for ways to do that. I thought, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. How come I didn't think of that? Um, and so look for ways, not every conversation, but look for ways to, to bring Jesus in. You just thank Jesus for what he's done or something. How bring it in and then let the power of his name touch somebody's life. Well, anyway, that was just a, a, an extra to it. But sometimes we just overuse it, you know, because it's just a cliche and we've run out of other things to say. Uh, and so we continue to say the th- same thing. So I want to suggest that praying scripture, these two are meant to be hyperlinked. Hyperlinked. What if praying became a form of reading, reading a form of praying? Uh, so we don't just go into cliches. We, instead of praying hard about something, uh, we don't just digress into a small talk, into meaningless conversations, you know, like you do when you're with somebody and you just begin to talk about the weather because you're not really sure where to go with it. So I wrote this on PowerPoint here this morning. Prayer was never meant to be a monologue. It was meant to be a dialogue. It was meant to be a dialogue. Think of Scripture as part of the script, and prayer is our part. Uh, so I did this last night. We used a text from, uh, what was that, in, in Matthew 25. We used the ten virgins in our prayer meeting last night. And in the ten virgins, I came to the point in verse 9 where it talked about the five foolish came to the five wise ones. The wise ones brought extra oil in this particular parable, and they were waiting to see the groom. The virgins are waiting to see the groom to be invited into the banquet, and they're waiting and waiting and waiting, and five brought extra oil, extra anointing. They had prepared. They It cost them something. The other five didn't. They, they thought it was going to happen instantly. They were people with instant gratification things going on. And so all of them went into a slumber, but when the grooms had come on in, five of them couldn't light their lamps because they ran out of oil. The other five, they had invested in extra oil. And the oil represents anointing, the Holy Spirit. They were ready. But here's here's the point. In verse 9, the five foolish went to the five wise ones, and they said, would you give us some of yours? Now, we today would say, wouldn't it be the nice thing to share your oil? But the very first word in verse 9 The five wise ones. And remember, they're called wise. Jesus called them wise. The five wise ones said no. And I'd never seen that before. I never knew no was such a good word. Right? We were always told not to say no. Say yes. Don't say no. But the wise ones said no. No. Why? We will not be distracted. We will not be led away. We are laser-focused on getting to the groom. And you're trying to get us out of this. So the answer is no. I'm laser-focused to get there. And last night, the whole focus, what I was trying to get across, and we began to pray about that. Too many times we say yes to so much the world is offering and asking of us, we need to say no to some things. When the world is offering, say no to that, no to that, because I need Jesus. And I have to say no to things to get there. The wise understand when to say no. Isn't that a good word? 
And so we did that last night. Here was the purpose. We used the scripture and we prayed. We prayed that scripture. And when you read the scriptures, take time. And what I do is that's why I, I want you to bring your Bibles. <laughs> it's not for me harping. It's not for me wanting you to carry and lug it around and forget it when you leave and then realize you, you know, you'd left it and you got to come back the week and pick it up. It's not for that reason. I want you to be able to take those scriptures and pray those scriptures. I want you to write in the margins like I write in up and down the margins of my Bible. Each Bible, I'm starting on a new Bible this past week, and I write into the margins so that I can pray those things. It takes you from the monotonous prayer into praying hard because what's it doing? It's taking you, you're looking for something and you're using the word to look for it and it increases your vocabulary a hundred times because now you're praying the word. You're praying those particular things. Sunday morning, what I'm talking about, even regarding the cloud, that becomes a prayer point. This is something that enriches a prayer life. So your prayers don't have to get stuck. My prayers don't have to get stuck. There's a lot there in the Word of God. So as I take the Word, I mark it out so that I can pray that and continue to pray that, and it becomes a part. And then the next day, add more to it, add more to it. Now you've got all kinds of stuff to pray about. You're not getting stuck on the same things, same words, same cliches. Your prayer has just wide, wide, and wide open. Here's the point. God delights when we look for his word, when we look for it. Prayer was never meant to be a monologue. It was meant to be a dialogue. Let's go to the second one, watching and waiting. And this really just leads into watching and waiting. Jeremiah, our text says, God is watching over his word to perform it. He can hardly wait to perform it. We, that wasn't, we had some good worship this morning. It was all around this. He's waiting He's waiting for you to, to reach out and say, Lord, I stand on your word. Your word is faithful. Your word is true. I contend for it. There's a number of scriptures. I mean, God loves nothing more than to keep his word. He is actively watching and waiting for us to simply take him at his word. Psalms 130 verse 5, it says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than a watchman waits for the morning. I wait for his word. Micah 7.7 7 says, But as for me, I watch and hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Savior. My God will hear me. Psalms 59.9 You are my strength. I watch for you. You, God, are my fortress. Beloved, the hardest thing I think about praying is really letting God do all that heavy lifting for us. You have to trust the favor of God to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. That's why we need to pray. I can't make it happen. I can't turn that situation around. I can't see that miracle in the body. I don't have the capability. I can't do it. I can't see that family member change. I can't, whatever it is, as I'm standing on, God, I can't do it. You can do it, though, and so I come, and when I get into that desperate state that, God, I know it's only you can do this. So I become desperate. I become persistent staying with it because only you can do that, Lord. You have to trust God to change hearts, even the heart of the pharaohs in our lives. And there are some, there are some tough hearts, but, God, you can change those hearts. So I trust you. I, I, I come before you. Watching and waiting, he delights. He delights. So we watch and wait. Six times the servant would go out 
and look for that. Watching and waiting, looking. No, don't see. When he goes back the second time, I imagine he's looking harder. Third time, he's like, okay, man, he's going to keep sending me back until I see something. So I imagine he's focusing a little harder. You know, the first time, it's just like, ah, hey, there's nothing out there. But come back fourth or fifth time, he's looking. Man, if he can just see a cloud, he doesn't have to keep coming back. <laughs> I mean, that's how I would feel. So looking harder, I think there's something good in that. I'm looking for it, Lord. I'm anticipating. The third thing I want to bring out, how do we get to the place of praying harder? It starts with the small cloud. Watching and waiting. Third thing is holy complication. Now let me explain when I talk about holy complication. I think one of the reasons we get so frustrated spiritually is we feel that the older you get in faith, the easier it is to do the will of God. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know I want to be an encouragement to you this morning, but that is just not the way it works. I believe the older you get in faith, you can build structures and rhythms, and I think that is positive. But I'm going to suggest that the older you get, the more you mature when it comes to the will of God, the will of God doesn't necessarily get easier. It often gets harder. And here's why. The harder it gets, the harder you will have to pray. And God will keep putting situations before you that you would never have been able to handle before. But as you're growing, he puts a more difficult situation because you need to dig in in a much more aggressive way than you did previously. As your faith stretches, so does your dreams. So now you begin to dream bigger. And if you pass the test, you graduate, and, and it doesn't get easier. I think it gets harder. It won't get less complicated, and this is my point, holy complication. Life doesn't get less complicated. It actually gets more complicated. But complications are evidence that God is blessing you. Don't take it as a negative. It's from God. That's why I'm calling them holy complications. Holy. Things are getting more complicated. And this is where we often quit again. But don't. It's you're growing in faith. You're digging in. You're becoming a threat. You are seeing some things happen at the elementary level or at the mid-level that you continue to press through, and God is going to give you more to press through. It's going to get harder. It's going to get more difficult. But it's holy complications. This is good news, actually. The blessings of God won't just bless you. They will also complicate your life. Now, sin will complicate your life in a negative way. But the blessings of God, when He blesses you, will complicate your life in a positive way. Let me give you some positive complications. <laughs> when I married Lori, she's standing at the back there, so I was hoping she'd stay downstairs. I could talk about her freely. When I married Lori, she complicated my life. It was a lot less complicated when I was 20 years old, before I married her, when I was 21 years old. She complicated my life. And I really complicated her life. Praise God for complications, right? <laughs> and then a few years later, we had two more complications. Right? You're talking with me. They were our kids, Carissa and Jonas. Now, I can't imagine life without them. But make no mistake, they were a complication. They complicated things. Things were simpler before. Okay, you following? 
With every promotion comes a complication. It's true in life. As you earn more money, are your taxes less or more complicated? More. When you get a job promotion, does your workplace become more or less complicated? More complicated. You see how it works? So let's not be surprised. In the kingdom, it's going to get more complicated, wholly complicated. And it's good because as God blesses, things are going to pile up, and that just causes you to what? Pray harder. Stay at it. Be persistent. Knuckle down. Get a hold of the throne and go for it with faith because God will help you. Holy complications. Maybe you and I just need to pray a very simple prayer. Lord, just complicate my life. Just, just start off. Lord, just complicate my life. As a pastor, as a pastor, I really see my portfolio as twofold. Number one, to comfort the afflicted. But number two, to afflict the comfort. To afflict those who are comfortable. You know, it's wonderful when I comfort the afflicted and able to offer some prayer and advice and point to Scripture to comfort the afflicted. But I realize, no, no, God often wants me to afflict the comfortable. You've become comfortable to stir up the gifts, and it becomes complicated. It's the second half of the job description is much more difficult. I mean, be honest. Many, if not most, of our prayers begin to revolve around selfish means. It helps you. We pray as if God's chief, chief objective is for your personal comfort in this world. <laughs> I hate to break the news. It's just not. God's chief objective is that he get the glory. And sometimes his gain involves a little pain. And I've come to realize that close to 40 years of pastoring, my most comfortable time in 40 years of pastoring is when I only had a handful of people to pastor. They were the most comfortable time in my years. As God touches lives, it gets more complicated. And that's great. To ensure you don't get stuck spiritually, pray through the points of your comforts. Be willing to pray past your points of inconvenience. If it's inconvenience, it's okay. It's okay. Pray through it. Then you will know you're getting close to the miracle. You're getting close. Hallelujah. Praying hard is starting with the small cloud. It's watching and waiting. It's praying through the holy complications. And the last one I wanted to point out about this text. Look towards the sea. If you remember what Elijah did when he prayed for rain, he sent the servant, look towards the sea because the servant needed to expect an answer. It's one thing to say pray for something and then you just go about your normal business. You're not actually looking for it. It's another thing to pray for something and then you start looking for it. You start believing it. I really believe the story of the prodigal son that you find in you know, the book of Luke and the father going out every day looking. Why was he looking? He was looking because he was praying for that boy. And so he kept walking out and he kept looking because he's expecting to see an answer one day. He's going to come home. He's looking for the boy to come home. You're waiting for that phone call. Look for that phone call. You're waiting for that 
letter, look for that letter. You're waiting for that email, look for that email. You're waiting, for, look for it. There was the thing, go back and look out over the sea. You got to start looking for it. Just don't pray and move on with business. That's why often when in healing crusades, after a prayer has taken place, they say, now look for the miracle. Do something you couldn't do before. Look for what God wants to do. Look for it. Get your eyes going in that direction. And remember, it's not going to necessarily be the first or second time. It might take a while. Look for it. He expected an answer. James chapter 5, verse 17. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. I want you to note that. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain. Elijah, Elijah didn't just pray. He looked for it. You see this consistent with this prophet. I began to look up other times making reference to Elijah. There's quite a few of them. If you go back and you read the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal, he didn't simply pray for God to send, to send the fire. He challenged a sacrifice showdown. He did something. When you read the story of Elijah again and the will of Zarephath, and she was dying of starvation, he didn't simply pray for her. He told her to take a loaf of bread with her last batch of dough. She had to do something. In the remarkable miracle, Elijah just didn't pray at the very end of his life when he came to the Jordan River. He just didn't get to the Jordan River and pray for it to part so he can get across. No, he took up his cloak and struck it. He did something. Required action. Each miracle was precipitated by a concrete step of faith. Setting up a sacrifice on Mount Carmel. Baking a loaf of bread. Striking the Jordan River. God honored these steps of faith by answering each prayer. Perhaps, perhaps one of the reasons we often don't see answers to our prayers is all we do is pray, but we stop short of looking. We stop short of that next step. You can't just pray like Elijah. You have to act like Elijah if you're going to see the works of Elijah. You can't just get on your knees you have to look towards the sea. The story of this story was important to look out towards the sea. I remember one time I was pastoring church and, and uh, uh, we needed a drummer. We really needed a drummer. Uh, I prayed and I prayed, God, bring us a drummer. Bring us a drummer. Bring us a drummer. And give us a drummer. And then one day I remember it was finally, uh, you know, a broken record. God finally got through me. And basically it was this, if you want a drummer, why don't you get a drum set? And I remember that thought came to me. If you want a drummer, why don't you go get a drum set? I never thought of that. I just thought the drummer would come in and bring a drum set and away we go. If you want a drummer, get a drum set. So I went out to Long McQuaid and we got a drum set. And it wasn't very long before we had somebody playing the drums in a remarkable way. Sometimes we stop short of that place. Look towards the sea. So I want to leave Jeremiah 1, 12, where the Lord said, I have seen correctly. I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. What does that mean? I think it means 
It starts with a small cloud. It's about watching and waiting. God delights to fulfill his word. Holy complications just causes you to dig in and be more persistent. And then keep looking, keep doing. Pray and do. Pray and look for what he is doing. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.